Welcome to the Nerd Review. This is a show where we talk about movies, TV shows, video games, books, and comic books. This is episode 9, and today we're talking about The Day After Tomorrow. This is one of my favorite disaster movies from one of my favorite directors, uh, a king of disaster movies, uh, Roland Emmerich. So he's directed The Day After Tomorrow, Independence Day, uh, Godzilla from 1998. So that's the one with Matthew Broderick with a lot of people uh, might say in hindsight, not a Godzilla movie, but that's a debate for another episode. Today we're talking about The Day After Tomorrow. Uh, this movie stars Dennis Quaid, Seal Ward, a very young Jake Gyllenhaal. Hall, uh, a very young Emmy Rusum, who are amazing in this movie. And uh, let's jump into The Day After Tomorrow. Now, I'm going to start off by saying that I love uh, stylized intros. Uh, when The Day After Tomorrow, when the movie starts, you see the 20th Century Fox uh, logo, and it goes from the gold and the lights moving, and then it quickly freezes over, and it fades from gold to this pale blue. And I really enjoy uh, you know, a stylized intro. You hear the cracks of thunder, and it jumps right into the movie. And the movie follows Dennis Quaid. He's playing Jack. Uh, and uh, it follows him trying to basically get to his son who went on a trip to New York when this big storm hits. And Dennis Quaid, his character, is this uh, paleoclimatologist, and he's managed to figure out, or he hypothesizes, that uh, you know he sees this trend in that happened you know hundreds of years ago that in a period of rapid heating you know climate change global warming in 2004 that this could trigger a ice age event and he tells the the un the government that this could happen in a hundred years a thousand years and if we don't act now it'll cost more later and what they don't realize is that it's going to happen the day after tomorrow <laughs> which i mean they don't they don't they don't go as far to say it but that's what happens so uh Jake Gyllenhaal's character, uh, he's on a field trip with uh, with Emmy Rusum. They go to New York, and uh, so that sets up the plot A, the plot B. Uh, Jack Dennis Quaid is in Washington when the storm hits, and he hears that like you know his son is trapped in New York, and there's this big storm brewing. So he says that, you know he's going to set out to save his son and uh, his crew of you know uh, expeditionists they uh, the movie opens the first scene of the movie opens with jack and his two uh, his two friends uh, on this expedition in the arctic so it it does you know it sets up well that they're you know they're experienced uh, with you know winter climates and trekking through winter climates, which is a nice you know it's not just like some suburban dad who's just like I'm gonna throw on my coat and walk hundreds of miles in the snow. At least this gentleman has you know an established uh, experience with this and maybe could uh, you know theoretically pull this feat off. Um, but again, it, you know the movie might be inaccurate scientifically and exaggerate what uh, you know somebody is capable of doing. But as I said in the disaster movie episode, that this is the science of the movie. So if it's not a hundred percent accurate, that uh, what was the the cold uh, in this movie? It set up that uh, the storm is so big; it's basically like a hurricane over land, 
and it's pulling um uh, so uh was it uh, um uh, atmospheric cold from like one of the upper atmospheres so like space cold right and it's pulling it down and it's like a negative 150 degrees and the effect is that like the fuel lines start to freeze and the ice crawls up the walls and around the outside of the object and then it penetrates further and further in and then you know if somebody if it goes outside uh they just like freeze like t1000 style in uh, liquid nitrogen and of course on the imdb page on the goofs or the you know the the trivia page it says well that's not very scientifically accurate and it's like we know it's just entertaining and truth be told according to the behind the scenes documentary that was something that was insisted on by the studio they wanted to have a big bad that would be like terrorizing the main characters kind of like chasing them down the hallway and that's what they decided would be the cold the cold like they have to run away from the cold huddle around the fire um so studio decision not the not the director's decision so it's a great movie so let's uh let's continue on now so the plot basically consists of uh dennis quaid uh setting out to reach his son there's a good amount of setup character development uh that just follows dennis quaid you know he's a a bit estranged from his family uh his wife is being played by Celia ward um you know they they look at some photos that she has in her office or at home and he you know he like he doesn't remember that trip and uh she mentions that you know like oh you had to work uh during that trip and then he's like i'm gonna bring him home and she's like you bring our boy home and it's, it's uh you know it's good character development uh it's something that i really appreciate in a movie uh there should be a few minutes to <laughs> that was my that was my phone going off uh there should be a few moments of uh you know emotion uh you know emotional stakes you know develop the the characters that uh you know maybe they're you know estranged parents but they still care about each other and they care about uh, their son so this is like bringing them closer together and you know she recognizes that he's risking his life uh, you know he's putting his life on the line and he's also capable of potentially reaching their son and saving him so uh it, it's something i appreciate in the, the writing and the direction of the movie roland emmerich did, did a really great job uh, capturing that emotion and putting it on screen and uh you know they continue on this trek uh from uh, washington dc all the way to new york and again uh i'm just gonna lament on the haters of these movies uh you know the people that write the goofs and you know the trivia on imdb it's astounding that they'll take the time to write out something that they gripe about with the movie but they don't even get it accurate so one of the one of the things they wrote was that it would take uh you know days for them to walk from washington dc all the way to new york and yes that is true it would take them a very long time except that in the movie it is clearly depicted and stated that they drove all the way north of philadelphia so from like outside of philadelphia to new york the approximate is like just over a day and a half and they clearly depicted that they took two full days they had two rests and like there's they're camping out in the big like the orange uh, you know arctic expedition tent and then they they continued the next day and like the storm even like clears up on the last day so arguably that last day of trekking will be a lot less intensive because the storm is over so it's just like if you're gonna gripe about a movie and you're gonna hate on a movie at least get your gripes in order you know i can gripe 
gripe about a movie that I like or a movie that I don't like, but I'm going to get it accurate. Like, I'm not going to, it's not inaccurate griping. Um, another one was uh, just a weird, you know, somebody did all the math for how big uh, the tidal wave is in one of the scenes. Uh, they, they have the depiction of like New York getting hit by a big tidal wave, uh, you know, which is when like they're all so worried about Sam and, you know, his classmates because this tidal wave like wipes out New York. And they did the math to like, it's very, it's very accurate. They did like, oh, the top of the wave hit the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty. And, you know, the Statue of Liberty is this high and the island is this high. So the wave was this high. And there's a lot of math. You know, they, they did all the calculations, except that if you watch the movie, the top of the wave hits nearly the top of the Statue of Liberty, not the bottom of the Statue of Liberty. So that was like, why would you do all that math again? You're taking all this time out for doing something, but you clearly you didn't even pay attention to the movie. The wave would have been like a hundred feet higher than their their all these cal these close calculations that they took the time to do, but they didn't take the time to watch the movie properly. That's just it. It amuses me, honestly. I find it I find it amusing. You know, if I take the time to do this podcast, I'm gonna watch the movie a few times and take you know accurate notes. And these people did when you know above and beyond, and are doing like math calculations on you know interesting parts of the movie. But they're not even they're not even accurate. Um, so the the plot uh, <laughs> continues. Um, Jake uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is uh, huddling down uh, in the New York library uh, that's where they happen to be crossing and to get out of the wave uh, to get out of the way of the wave they uh, went in there and they went up you know the stairs and to the top floor and the wave kind of like crashes around all the buildings and uh, it's like moving the cars and there's like a big bus that just gets like thrown and uh, so the wave goes all the way around and it cuts back and forth uh, between uh, the two plot a plot b uh, but it, the movie unfolds really well from this point on. Uh, they have a few scenes of like the intensity of the storm. Uh, you know, all the water in New York starts to freeze rapidly, and people are you know walking out on the ice. And uh, Sam manages to call his dad, and Dennis Quaid is like, "You can't go outside. If you go outside, you're gonna die." And it's all dramatic, <laughs> and it's really well done. Uh, the scene where uh, Sam, Jake Gyllenhaal, calls uh, you know his dad. Dennis Quaid, they have this uh, recreation set of a portion of the New York Public Library, uh, and it's the the bottom half where the payphones are because nobody's you know upstairs. They're not able to uh, get a signals. You know, there's a big storm happening. It's 2004. You have a Nokia brick or some sort of flip phone, and so uh, Sam is like, you know, where are the landlines? They'll still have a signal, but it's in the part of the library that's you know already you know underwater and is continuing to flood so he goes down and they've they've really flooded it they've built part of you know this stairwell and you know the archway and you can see the phone and the water line is like right below you know where the phone book would be kind of thing and the setup of a, of a payphone and he wades into the water and it's like super cold and he was like oh you know it's all icy and whatnot and it's, it's uh, you know Jake Gyllenhaal is a very good actor um, and you know as he's on the phone and he manages to call 
call uh, you know his dad and you know his mom is there and they're at uh, you know his dad's office and uh, you know he obviously he assumed his dad would be at work during this like you know big emergency event where uh, you know a climatologist or a paleoclimatologist would be needed and they managed to speak and that's when you know his dad tells him that you have to stay inside and the storm's going to get really bad and you won't have a chance to survive outside and as they're on the phone the water level is rising and you know it's super cold and he's you know he's telling them all this and uh, you know that you know it brings him and Laura even closer it brings uh, Sam and Laura even closer because she's like she's watching as the water level rises and it goes above the archway and she can't see him and then she's like screaming like Sam Sam and uh, you know it's a, it's a touching moment and uh, then you know she has to like get all his wet clothes off and she hugs him and she's like I'm using my body to warm your body and it's you know it's getting a little saucy in the day after tomorrow um, <laughs> so uh, th- that's when uh, you know Dennis Quaid's character is like okay you know, I'm setting out, I'm going to go get him. And, uh, you know, he goes into his little room, uh, wherever he is, he works in this government building and he has like, you know, his Arctic expedition gear, um, which is, which is really cool. Uh, it's, it's also one of the few movies that has like an accurate depiction of winter. So many times you see them like, it's like howling wind and they're like walking down the street in their coat, but they have no hat gloves scarf nothing and i i live in canada i have experienced winter you need a hat you need some sort of face covering if it's that cold um and in this movie they do it's it's proper winter gear they have it's you know it's supposed to be like arctic expedition gear that they're wearing and they have face masks and they have goggles and they have good gear which is also really cool uh, a little tangent in my opinion um everyone loves cosplay cosplay is so popular these days and one of my little jokes about one of the reasons why i love the day after tomorrow so much is that from like november to february i get to do cosplay every time i go outside you know i can pretend that i'm you know i'm like i'm going out to the day after tomorrow and i gotta put my snow pants and my winter jacket and my my hat and my scarf and my gloves and, and you know like how far can i walk in these sub-zero temperatures and uh you know it's fun going out in a snowstorm and and like walking to your favorite you know forest trail i used to live near a big big forest trails and stuff and that was just something that i found really fun and i enjoyed it's like it's like getting to go cosplaying every time you leave the house which is a good way to get through winter blues if you uh if you need some you know a new way of framing it in perspective you can uh, put on all your cosplay and pretend you're in the day after tomorrow and you're like you know you're trekking out into a storm to uh to get like you know precious resources from the saq <laughs> you, know, that, uh, you know or or something from the depth uh so to get back to uh the movie uh there's some really good uh vfx uh that has started to come into effect at this point in the movie um they you know there's the big tidal wave that happened and shortly after the tidal wave uh there's like a ship that comes down the heart of new york uh well not the heart of new york it comes down one of the streets and they all stand like on the balcony on the second or third floor of the library and like the whole first area is all frozen well it's all like there's like icy water uh down there and you see this like big cargo ship just like float down one of the streets of new york and it's so well done and it's all quiet and you just hear like the ominous like screeching of metal as it like goes and hits like cars and scrapes
scrapes the sides of the buildings and it's just it's very well done the uh, special effects in the movie are a blend of uh, some practical and then you know you have your cgi but it's it's still a really good blend so like in the foreground you have real cars in you know a recreation street of new york that they've built a water tank around and it's actually flooding and you have the actors you know jumping over cars and you know running over the trunk and stuff and then you have real water and then in the background you know they're on a blue screen or a green screen and then you add the effects of the background it's you know they make it to look like real new york and it it really translates because almost what 18 years later the movie still looks phenomenal which is is due to all the uh, special effects houses that worked on this movie uh the the crafting of this movie is quite phenomenal uh if you look at the behind the scenes documentary or you know i read a lot of the uh the behind the scenes and the making of information uh so nine effects houses worked on this movie over a thousand artists uh, notably industrial light and magic and digital domain which is is amazing these are some of the biggest uh special effects houses at the time and still to this day uh, but one of the things that i was shocked about when watching the behind the scenes documentary is that ilm industrial light and magic they handled the wolves in the movie and if you're familiar with day after tomorrow shockingly the wolves is the worst part of the movie they don't look real whatsoever they don't mesh their fur doesn't look real there's no depth to them at all they look almost 2d and static on the real world background which is which is shocking it breaks your perception your 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 immersion into the movie um and it's just crazy that such a big special effects house like industrial light and magic would be responsible for hands down in my opinion the worst part of the movie uh the special effects are uh, horrible and it's unfortunate because the wolves they do play like one of the perils in the movie uh sam's character and some of the supporting cast uh with jake gyllenhaal uh they have to go out onto that big ship because there's some resources on it uh emmy rusum's character laura she suffered an injury she you know she cut her leg uh, while the water was swelling and they were they were fleeing she was running past a car and two of the cars had you know collided and she cut her leg and it was infected you know it makes sense all that dirty water you know it's new york it's probably very dirty water and so they assume that you know this big ship that has floated in and you know the water's frozen they they've saw they've seen people they've saw people they've seen people walking on the ice so they head out and uh but these the, they uh the wolves have escaped from the zoo the the central park zoo uh which was established in in another shot uh very well done they did they they foreshadow everything really well it's not like they just walk out and then all of a sudden it's like oh hey where'd these wolves come from just happened to walk by uh when, when all the storm stuff is happening and the tidal wave is coming in and the the lightning is building uh they have a scene uh in the in the zoo and they're like oh the wolves are all agitated and it does track you know there's all this reports of and scientific knowledge about you know animals being aware of storms and and having some foresight so I enjoyed that and then at some point they show you that the wolves escaped so uh so the wolves do play this like vital part in the movie and it's it's crazy to believe that industrial light and magic was responsible for this this vital part of the movie and they accepted such a subpar 
uh, work. They they accepted it and they put it in the final movie, and that's shocking. And to me, it's just it's a clear example of a big company just using their weight, like oh we're industrial light and magic and we'll handle this, and then handing in something subpar and just phoning it in and taking their money and being like ah oh, it's a disaster movie, nobody's gonna care. Like they probably didn't care about the movie. It's not Star Wars. It's not something big. Um, and it's just that 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 part really irks me, especially that I already hated the wolves, and then I go and find out that it's one of the like most reputable uh, you know VFX companies in the world, and that was their that was what they handed in. It's like you got an F, you got an F on your homework for that. Um, so that was just my little rant on Industrial Light and Magic and their hand in ruining what should have been a really good portion of the movie because you watch those wolves and you're just like. Ah, those are just that's just so subpar, man. It's just it it's so subpar. So let's 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 cut back. Let's let's let I'll digress and uh you know, we'll get back to the plot a little bit here. So uh, back to the remaining of the plot. Uh, once you get to the ship part, uh, you're, you're close to like halfway through the more more than halfway through the movie. Uh, they get back to the the library as they're finishing up on the ship. You know, the wolves had chased them through the ship. They heard them. They catch them on the ship. Uh, they have to. One of their friends uh, gets you know a little bit mauled, and uh, they they hit him in the face with a fire like a frozen fire extinguisher. <laughs> they don't hit their face. They don't hit their friend. They don't hit their face in the friend. They, <laughs> they don't hit their friend in the face with a fire extinguisher. Wow, say that five times fast. Don't hit their friend in the face with a fire extinguisher. They hit the wolf, the poorly done wolf, uh, in the face with a fire extinguisher, and they manage to like close the doors. And they, you know, they're collecting all these supplies, foods, uh, you know, from the mess hall on the ship, and they find, you know, some penicillin and some medicine, and. Uh, you know Jake Gyllenhaal's character Sam he goes out one of the portholes and tries to like distract the wolves and gets them to like chase him out of you know the interior of the ship and he locks them out and and or I know they lock them in another room that's what it is they lock them in another compartment uh, so that they can escape the ship and they get you know they come back with all their medicine and but as they're doing this as they're you know they're fighting the wolves uh jake realizes you know sam's character he realizes that they're uh, basically in the eye of the storm and he can see that like the air is starting to like slow down and you know he looks up the buildings and if that studio bad guy the cold is like starting to like freeze as it's it's pulling the cold air down is the idea it's coming from the upper atmospheres and you can see like the windows cracking and the ice descending on on, on the uh, you know the main characters here and so they you know he starts rushing them urgently and they make their way back into the library and you you can see the ice is like climbing over the walls and it's freezing the hallway as they run down and he's you know yelling at them don't let the fire go out don't let the fire go out and they're throwing you know they were throwing books and you know like uh, at one point one of the characters made a joke they were arguing over like you know you can't burn books and one of the characters like there's a whole section on law down here uh, or like on like business law tax law or something like that he's like we can burn that and so uh they were like breaking up chairs too and you know he's you know they tell him like they you know like don't let the fire burn or don't let the fire burn don't let the fire burn out and uh, that's where it cuts back to Dennis Quaid's character we don't see Sam again uh, you know the movie's winding down and he's on his like final part of his trek 
they lose one party member um, as they uh, stall out. As I mentioned earlier, they were able to drive in their like tricked out Humvee, you know, their Arctic expedition vehicle that they need to now, you know, to maneuver the streets of, you know, New York, Washington to New York. Uh, they stall out along the highway. You know, there's a bunch of crashed vehicles. And uh, at first, they're, you know, he's like, he checks the GPS and he's like, oh, we're only like just north of Philly. And, and Dennis Quaid's character is just like, oh, from here we walk. <laughs> and it was like, obviously, they weren't just going to give up on his son. Um, so they, they start trekking. And at one point, you know, they're walking and to kind of a demonstrate, it was really well done that like the snow has gotten so high is that they're actually walking on the glass roof of a shopping mall. And one of the, uh, you know, the, the member, the party members, one of the the expedition guys, Frank, uh, who is played by uh, J. O. Sanders, uh, who you know he's supposed to be like uh, Jack uh, Dennis Quaid's character. He's supposed to be like their their best friend. Uh, you know he's like I've been you know I've been going with you for twenty years. Of course I'm coming with you. I'm gonna I'm gonna help you save your son. Uh, the glass under him uh, breaks and he you know, he falls. And it was one of the things I said before. I really enjoy the the level of accuracy and the depiction of you know three guys who are supposed to be experienced Arctic expeditioners, expeditionists. Um, they have uh, a rope tied to all three of them. Uh, so in, in the idea is that if one of you like fall over or slip or you fall unconscious, that you're not just left behind, that the, you know, the rope would be taut. So, uh, you know, instead of just falling through the roof, uh, they start all start to get pulled backwards. And, you know, he pulls out his axe and they, they stop their, their momentum. But now, uh, you know, Frank, this, you know, their, their party member, their friend, their colleague, he's just like hanging perilously. Uh, over this giant chasm, you know, the third they're they're hanging three stories up from uh, from a shopping mall, and uh, he had a sled with them. He had like all their like uh, you know not all of them, but like some of the resources. And uh, so he cuts the slack, and he like he puts in he has like a, like a you know knife, uh, you know they're on an expedition, so he has all his tools with him, and uh, he cuts the rope behind him, and you they do a really good job of showing the, the sled fall, and like it smashes on top of the the escalator, and like a dramatic example of you know what's about to happen to him basically because they don't have a really good uh, way of getting him out, and uh, the other guy on the expedition with Jack. Uh, um, their their younger colleague, who was you know he was in training, Jason, played uh, by Dash Mihok. Dash Mihok. I don't know how to pronounce that last name. Uh, very good actor, very good character. Um, he's trying to like get a grip, you know, on the big broken window so that he can brace the guy's weight. But you know, the window that he's lying, you know, on his stomach, you know, it starts to crack now, and you know, the stakes are getting higher. You know, they're they're all gonna die, and and Frank realizes this, and he wants them to survive, and you know, he wants them to continue, and he brings the knife up to the rope that's supporting him, and you know, they're yelling at him, "Don't do it! Don't do it!" And he cuts it and you hear like the rope you know the snap and and you hear the impact but they don't show it to you <laughs> it's a pg-13 pg movie in quebec um so they don't want you to see the the poor demise of frank um and it cuts from there to uh you know dennis or jack and uh this other g gentleman jason on their expedition and now they're in their little tent and uh they're gonna you know have dinner and they they open their pack and they've packed like 
three sets of everything and they kind of have like a moment you know like oh Frank's not with us anymore and you know it's just it goes to the character development that you know people it's not just the background characters that pass away that there was you know there were stakes and characters lost along the way and it was a really good scene in the movie I, I liked the uh, the shopping mall scene it was really well done it also demonstrates that like that's how much snow has fallen that like there was three stories of like frozen snow like the entire like from Philadelphia to New York you're walking on like 30 feet of snow so like imagine all the houses and all the people who are like just like literally buried in snow right now hunkering down trying to survive and this guy these three guys are just like out there completely insane walking through the storm trying to reach new york to save you know his son and some you know some classmates so like the stakes are high uh and and from there the movie really wraps up they are like right outside of new york by the next day the storm has passed over them uh so you know like they, if they were in the eye of the storm at that point the storm continues for the whole day uh you saw them like you know take a rest in their little tent and they managed to make it to new york and for a moment there's like they, they realize like they're supposed to be right on top of the library and they're uh, so they they run around the other side and they make it inside and they you can see the doors to where the like the the center is where the like the fireplace they can like smell smoke obviously you see like a little glow under the door and when they like push open they break all the ice uh, you see all the characters are kind of lying there in front of the fire and you know for a second it's like oh no did they all freeze to death are they all dead and and then you see them like or like they stir and they wake up and they look and they're like oh who's that who's that and and jake gyllenhaal sammy smells he's like that's my dad <laughs> it's just a it's a good scene uh and and from there it's it's kind of like a closing ceremonies for the movie uh you see like the american president who you know he's or sorry the president actually in the movie didn't make it his uh his convoy got caught in the eye of the storm and they froze and they went down so it's the vice president who's now in charge and that's the vice president who was like we don't need to pay for this or whatever his you know he was like he was just against all the science and he didn't believe that this would ever come to happen and that like the you know the, the economy was more important than the science and the the environment and obviously he just you know he just ate shit for <laughs> for that and you know millions of people probably just died in his country uh that he is now the the president of and so he does you know his state of address and uh he's like down in mexico on foreign soil which is part of the whole you know like we're here coming to you from you know another country and uh you know he tells them that like there we're going we're gonna come for you and save you <laughs> we're gonna come for you like the survivors he says that to the survivors not like we're gonna come for you for freezing our country you know like declaring war on mother nature or something but no he's he's talking to uh, any survivors that are still out there and uh so you know jack uh, managed to get to new york and he has you know his all his like satellite uh, you know his arctic expedition gear so while everybody else you know just had their 2004 nokia cell phones or whatnot uh jack is able to you know get a signal out on his satellite gps device and you know he contacts his friends in the government and he's like they're survivors you know people have managed to survive up here in the north you know as far north as new york um and so they're like bring our people home and the movie was filmed in montreal so shout out to uh, 
Montreal. Uh, but so this this scene of you know bring our people home it included six actual helicopters, like government issue helicopters, and they flew them over the Montreal skyline, not the New York skyline, uh, which prompted uh, a bunch of people to call nine one one and worries, and they the the authorities had to assure the residents of Montreal that they were not being invaded by the United States and that this was simply for a movie production which I think is is hilarious uh, you know I don't I in 2004 I was 10 so I don't really remember maybe I saw some of these helicopters flying overhead uh, but I wouldn't have had the the thought that oh no we're being invaded by America uh, very red dawn I guess if you if you were around when these movies came out and you're just like walking around and you see like like six or maybe eight I don't remember how many it was uh, but all these like you know government issue helicopters and I assume they were flying like decently low like just above the however high up they had to be but they're big too right so that was I just that's a very funny uh, little trivia fact it's on the page and so and it's a good it's a good scene and the movie wraps up you know we get a good credit roll and I I can't say enough about this movie I really I really love the day after tomorrow uh, it's been 18 years since the release and it still holds up which is what i was saying is a combination of you know the real recreations of new york using a water tank having the actors run around you know sloshing around in the water and then adding on the layer of special effects and you know in the in the behind the scenes it was you know at one point it was initially considered using miniatures um but because of how much uh was required they actually used 13 blocks of lidar scanned 3d modeling of manhattan and then 50,000 scanned photographs to use the building texture and due to the overall complexity they had a like a super tight schedule for this and it required nine different special effects houses like over a thousand artists and like they used small houses uh, small uh, special effects houses for individual scenes and you know they uh one of uh, they they still have uh, the record for one of the longest cgi scenes the entire uh, intro to the movie uh when they're in antarctica it's all cgi and it's really well done you have like the crunch of the snow effect and it's all blue and the characters mesh because i mean the characters are there and what's in the foreground was an actual set uh, so it's just it's remarkable what they were able to achieve and obviously a large portion of the movie's budget was allocated to these special effects and the employment of over a thousand artists and nine special special effects houses uh, so the budget was 125 million uh, in 2004 money and it made at the box office 552.6 million it was second in its opening weekend uh, second only to Shrek 2 uh, which which placed higher than it uh, it is it's an amazing movie it went on to you know have a great run a lot of you know the disaster film enthusiasts think it's uh, it's still a great movie uh, so some interesting trivia that I uh, scraped up while uh, reading you know all the different things about this movie during production what well, one of the things was that uh, Emmy Rusum was not the first choice for the movie and it was uh, basically foregone that it was going to be Lindsay Lohan
time. Uh, she was going to play the character of Laura, uh, but she had to uh, step back and drop out due to schedule and conflicts. Uh, presumably for Mean Girls, which came out the same year as this movie. So if you look at the schedules, I assume that's what she was probably filming at the time. So Mean Girls is, is a great movie. And in my opinion, uh, Lindsay Lohan and Mean Girls is a great movie. And I just don't see... Uh, the character chemistry, like I don't see the chemistry being there between Lindsay Lohan and Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, part of the part of the movie, some of the great scenes are between Laura and Jake. Uh, you know, on the plane, she's sitting next to him, and there's some turbulence, and he's afraid of flying, and and she holds his hand. And I try to picture Lindsay Lohan, and nothing. You know, nothing to, to the chagrin of Lindsay Lohan. She's a great actress. I liked her. Uh, you know, I liked her in uh, in Mean Girls. It's a, it's a great movie. It's a hilarious movie. Um, but I just don't see her having uh, the on-screen chemistry with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal the way that Emmy Rusum did. Um, and the, the, so interestingly enough, too, uh, Emmy Rusum would get another role because Lindsay Lohan dropped out. Uh, it happened again in 2006 for Poseidon. Poseidon. Um, another disaster film will probably do... Uh, an episode on that the remake of Poseidon in 2006 um, and funnily enough again I have the same opinion of that movie Emmy Rusum is amazing in Poseidon and as I, I, I try to picture Lindsay Lohan in those scenes you know replacing Emmy Rusum and I'm just like wow that's a weird choice I don't I don't see her having the 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 chemistry the 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 chops I don't know what it is uh, I just don't see her in these type of roles uh, I think Emmy Rusum did an amazing job as Laura in The Day After Tomorrow and she did an amazing phenomenal job in Poseidon in 2006 uh so another casting trivia uh, apparently at the time in 2004 there was a bit of controversy over who was cast for the vice president uh the the, the actor is kenneth kenneth walsh uh and the reason it was controversial is because he actually had a somewhat of a physical resemblance to vice president dick cheney and Roland Emmerich actually uh, insisted on it for that reason. Apparently, he admitted that the character of the president and the vice president and the, the casting of Kenneth Welsh uh, was as a criticism of Bush and Cheney uh, and their opposition to the Kyoto protocols and reducing and not reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, so that's you know a little funny, uh, interesting uh, thing from the director and his choice on casting. Uh, it was he, he just trying to do a, I guess trying to be you know make some sort of political statement while making a movie about climate change and uh, you know it's about the government ignoring uh, you know the 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 warning of science scientists and that somewhat mirrored what is at what was actually happening in 2004 um so that was interesting uh, it's also um interesting that roland emmerich spent two hundred thousand dollars of his own money to make the production carbon neutral uh, according to the trivia fact it's the first of its kind in hollywood and all carbon dioxide emitted by the production was offset by planting of trees and investments in renewable energy so i mean say what you want about the movie being inaccurate or you know a fluff piece or an 
action drama or whatever you know criticism you have but i mean that's pretty cool it's carbon neutral they planted a bunch of trees and made some you know good investments for the future uh i think that's that's pretty interesting um another interesting tidbit from the behind the scenes and uh from roland emmerich himself uh according to him uh emmy rusum gave jake gyllenhaal quote a deep french kiss during their first read together so i I mean i guess that explains why they had such good on-site on-screen chemistry Uh, i'm curious if lindsay lohan was uh, as enamored with the young jake gyllenhaal as uh as emmy rusum was and you know it's just it's an interesting layer you know interesting fact about the actors and maybe they're having fun speaking of interesting facts according to that trivia jake gyllenhaal actually peed uh, in the water tank during the uh, filming of the phone call, that phone call that I was describing before, uh, he really had to pee, and they were, you know, he was on set and they were about to go film, and the whole tank, like he's literally standing in a pool of water that's getting higher and higher. So I, I assume he can hear there was a sound of, you know, rushing water, and he's trying to act out his scenes. Though, um, according to Joey, you know, if you've ever seen Friends, the urgency to pee. Uh, at, you know the, the need to pee adds that level of urgency and so maybe he was uh you know pulling a joey and that was his his way of uh committing to the scene and he just had to let it go and pee in the tank a little bit there which is i think that's pretty funny i think it's pretty funny um so that's uh that's the day after tomorrow uh it was a great movie there's there's so much uh there's so much fun to be had in a disaster movie and especially one that's so well cast uh with great actors and has a great director like Roland Emmerich. I mean, he he direct he not only did he direct, he wrote Independence Day, uh, the original Independence Day, and and the sequel. But uh, you know, some people don't <laughs> didn't like the sequel. But uh, I mean, it's arguably that the the original Independence Day is one of the best disaster movies. Uh, you know, with the destruction of the White House and all that stuff. Uh, so you know, he knows what he's doing, and he he's an amazing writer, an amazing director. He has a a really unique vision on you know how how you know it comes about uh, the dis- these destructions uh, the d- the destruction how it comes about the destruction and you know using models and miniatures and practical effects and layering the special effects uh, you know these are all decisions that are made that end up you know creating this final result that is this amazing movie that stands the test of time you know it's been almost 18 years it's been 18 years almost 20 years since its release and you know i watched this movie just a few times now you know while taking my notes and preparing for you know this episode and it's just still still such a great film you know everything holds up uh it's emotional it's there's a little bit of levity there's some jokes uh it's all around you know i give it five out of five um, which might be a little, you know, I might be a little biased. I, you know, I'll admit it. You know, I saw this movie 2004. I was 10 years old. You know, I got to see it in theaters. You know, the enjoyment. You know, it's all. It's in my opinion, it's more than just you know the movie itself. It's the company you had while watching the movie. It's the the experience of sitting down and watching a movie. And sometimes, you know, in my opinion, I'll I'll tack on another star because you know maybe the movie is four stars, but I had a really good time. So you earned that fifth star. And that's my opinion. And if you don't agree with it, that's your opinion, and that's totally fine. So this is where I'm going to end the episode. This has been episode nine of the Nerd Review. This has been the day after tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to the next episode, and I hope you look forward to the next episode. But until then, this has been The Nerd, and this is The Nerd signing off.